Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talaya Dindi. I am a 10-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. This podcast is about sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who made it on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complimentary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Hello, and welcome to Navigating Cancer Together. I am your host, Talaya Dindi. Today, our very special guest is Savio Clemente. Savio is doing amazing work in the cancer community. Savio coaches cancer survivors to overcome the confusion and gain the clarity needed to get busy living in mind, body, and spirit. He inspires health and wellness seekers to find the meaning and why and to cultivate resilience in their mindset. Savio is a board-certified wellness coach, podcaster, syndicated columnist, stage three cancer survivor, and founder of the Human Resolve LLC. Savio has interviewed notable celebrities, including tennis champion Venus Williams, TV personality Carson Kressley, and voice actor Rob Paulson. He has been featured on Fox News and has collaborated with Authority Magazine, Thrive Global, BuzzFeed, Food Network, WW, and Bloomberg. Savio pins a weekly newsletter at thehumanresolve.com, where he delves into secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains, head, heart, and gut, in hopes of connecting those dots to, to those sticky parts in our nature that matter. Savio, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Thank you so much, Talia. I really appreciate it. I'm so looking forward to this. I am too. I've been, you know, looking forward to following up with you again after me being a guest on your podcast, which I love. And um, let's just get started. And so please, Savio, share your cancer journey with the audience. Sure. So I was, um, you know, in 2014, it was July. Uh, I, you know, previous to that, I was seeing a naturopath who did blood work on me. I was always someone who really didn't really take aspirin. I ate organic foods. I exercised six days a week. I um, took, you know, holistic uh, vitamins. Um, but my stomach started getting, getting bigger and bigger. And then I started having night sweats at night, like drenching night sweats. And I remember going on a trip uh, with a friend to um, London and to Amsterdam and my sheets were soaked. So I'm like, well, this is weird because it's not really hot. Um, so fast forward uh, a week a week later, I went to my naturopath again. He looked at my blood work. He goes, something is definitely wrong. You need to go to mainstream medicine. I'm like, okay. So uh, I make an appointment. Um, I go for a sonogram. They wouldn't let me leave the office for like an hour and a half. After an hour and a half, they told me to have someone come pick me up. I'm like, I'm an adult and I have my car here. They're like, sir, you need to have someone pick you up and go to the hospital right away. I'm like, what? Go to the hospital. The doctor sees me within an hour and 20 minutes. 
I'm admitted to the fifth floor. Um, I'm told about a day and a half later that I have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So it's called uh, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Um, and I was told, so I was bedridden for a week because they had to put a nephrostomy tube and distend about five liters of fluid from my abdomen. Um, they did a bone marrow aspiration, thankfully did not go into any upper regions of my body. Uh, and I was told about, so I was in hospital for a total of two weeks. And I was told three days before those two weeks uh, that I had to start. The medical director said, I strongly urge you to start your first round of chemo. Um, so they talked about something called rituxin along with CHOP, which is complicated names. Um, I deliberated because a good friend of mine said to me, you sure you want to put those poisons in your body because it ravages everything. And I made the executive decision to do both. I kept hearing over and over again, the path is the middle way. The path is the middle way. And so that's what I chose to do. And I promised myself I had six uh, successive rounds. And I promised myself that as long as I do my part, so I did a combination of mainstream medicine along with um, some alternative modalities. Uh, and fortunately for me, the story goes, four months later, I got my scan and I was cancer-free. I've been in remission for seven years now. Wonderful. Congratulations. And I'm so happy that you're doing so well today. That's pretty scary when you show up for an appointment and you're thinking that you're just getting like this scan and they say, no, go straight to the hospital. Like, what were you thinking at that time? I'm sure you were just afraid or wondering what the heck is this about? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't thinking cancer. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, I was thinking something is wrong. So I was thinking, cause my, I did have a little bit of belabored breathing, um, a tiny bit, especially when I would like go upstairs, not that that place had a lot of stairs, but I did, I did remember feeling that the last couple of days. So I thought maybe something's wrong with my lungs or maybe, um, you know, uh, I have some sort of infection. I did not know that it was cancer and the fifth floor is where it's like a, like a waiting room floor okay. and then they when they said to me i'm going on the seventh floor and i overheard nurses that night that same night talking about the cancer floor the seventh floor i was like oh so when they told me i wasn't that surprised because i kept hearing the seventh floor is the cancer floor okay. which is kind of crazy that they even say that but in any event that is the floor wow and so savio how did you share this news with your family so the first person to see me was my sister. So she actually works very close by to the hospital, literally like walking distance from the hospital. So she saw me that, that morning after I was told because they had to do a little bit of a procedure with the nephrostomy tube and then they were able to um, absolutely determine it, it was not Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, she just like fell apart on me. She literally was like weeping and crying. I had to be the stronger person and say, wait, wait, wait. And I just realized like, I'm the one who's sick here. Um, but, you know, it was, and then I told my parents um, um, and, you know, they were pretty distraught. Uh, my sister from California was also in town. She was supposed to come for vacation. So happened around the same time. Uh, her husband, her husband wasn't there, but her two kids were there. Uh, she, you know, she, her husband had uh, prostate cancer. So um, uh, she, like he had it for about 10 years prior. So, oh, I'm sorry, colon cancer, not prostate cancer, colon mm -hmm. cancer. Uh, and so I think for her, it just wasn't a month of a shock. Um, but, you know, honestly, Talia, I was really embarrassed um, mm -hmm. and I didn't want the rest of my extended family to know. My sister was 
wanting to tell everyone. And I told them, it's not going to help me to have people come over and see me in the hospital, especially when I was told I would be bedridden for a week. Um, I felt like a zoo animal and um, it was a lot of self-consciousness on my part. Yeah, I understand that, Savio, because um, when I was diagnosed, um, I was kind of afraid to tell certain people because you know how people will say, well, what did you do wrong? Or, you know, and it's nothing that anyone did wrong. You know, sometimes your the cells in your body, they just kind of, they don't do what they're supposed to do. And um, they just go haywire. And so I totally understand that. And at some point, Savio, did you reach out for emotional support? No, if I'm speaking strictly with emotions, I've always been the type of person to kind of get it done. Um, I dig deep within myself. I've been a longtime meditator. I found that the answers always lie within. Sometimes obviously you need guidance. Um, but no, till I honestly, it was until maybe three or four years later that I was able to emotionally process it. Yeah. You know, I'm a, whether you believe in astrology or not, I'm a Pisces. And so mm-hmm. uh, I'm also an Aquarius cusp, whatever that means to most people. But to me, it means that I've always been a feeling oriented person. I'm very sensitive. I'm, I'm very empathetic, but I think there's a difference. Cancer taught me a difference between feeling and emotions. Mm-hmm. Feeling is feeling the feelings. Emotions is processing it and letting it dictator determine what your next steps are dictator determine how you're going to respond and my whole response mechanism was it's a challenge i'm going to learn everything about this i'm going to find the middle way and i'm just going to do whatever i can do and the rest is whatever it is so honestly i didn't i didn't i didn't deal with it emotionally i was still going to the gym yeah. my eyebrows fell off um <laughs> i had no hair on my body like like for someone who's Asian Indian, like that's a big deal. Like growing <laughs> up, like hair is something that we just get used to when we're really young. Um, and, um, but I know I, I fought, I fought my way. I know that's a very, in the cancer community fighting and all that. But for me, it was, it was a challenge and I wanted to find a way to make peace with it, but also find a way to overcome it. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. I know that's kind of tough um, to share those personal things, but, you know, I always lead with the thought that it will help someone else. So thank you, Savio. Sure. So um, do you believe that if you had reached out for support at that time of your diagnosis, do you feel like it would have made a difference looking back? I think if I reached out at that time, I think I would be reaching out to the wrong people. Uh-huh. I think I've cultivated an understanding and a lot of my emotional work that I mentioned with dealing with the cancer was I attended um, a little retreat with like 17 other guys. Uh, it's called like a men's retreat, which at the time I knew nothing about it. I somehow stumbled on the website. It was in the Catskills, which is about an hour and a half from where I live here in New York. Uh, and basically it was 17 of us guys. And it was really the premise was men need to um, re-educate themselves. Men need to relearn. Men need to rise higher especially in light of movements like the Me Too movement, especially in light of you know, women's empowerment, because men to some degree have just settled. And we did these exercises, conscious breathing, journaling, letters to our father, letters to our, our mother. And there was just one striking letter that we had to do the last day. And it was, if you could write a letter to someone, what is it that you're not saying that you should be saying? And it was like a light bulb moment. I'm like, oh my God, 
it's, so I had a situation with, with a bunch of individuals. I was in business with them. We were also personally involved. I've known them for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. And it just ended because of personal reasons on their end. It just ended. And I didn't have any closure. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote the letter with tears in my hand, I, you know, tears in my eyes. And I knew the letter would never be responded to. And it hasn't been responded to. Um, but I wrote the letter for me. And I wrote the letter not blaming. I wrote the letter saying, this is how I feel. This is who I am. And it was like a reservoir of um, like a dam that just sort of rushed open. And that's when I felt the feelings. That's when I felt the emotions. That's when I realized that there was great insight in that moment. Wow. Such a beautiful experience, it sounds like. And it sounds like something that a lot of us need to do just to be able to release those things that are holding us back and still causing us pain. Yeah, there was an exercise called Gestalt Therapy. It's when I learned about the fact that different body parts hold trauma, different body parts hold energy, mm-hmm. and you have to speak to it or release it or let it bubble up within you. And that's really the key. We also did this one exercise, which was so powerful. He had us face to face. Now, I, I didn't know any of these guys at all. Face to face. And he had each of us with our opposite hand touch each other's heart with our hands and do breathing. And what ended up happening is now, I don't want any science people that like you know, refute me, but I can tell you honestly, at, cert- at after about a minute and a half, two minutes, our heartbeat started regulating at the same time. Yes, it actually did happen. I wasn't imagining it. It wasn't something that he was telling us to do. It was something that I experienced and something the other person experienced as well. Oh, interesting. And so Savio, one of the things that I have, always wondered is why men do not reach out for support, emotional support. They don't um, voice when they need help. Is that because men are conditioned differently? You know, I hate to say it in black and white terms, but I can just speak for my own experience as a male. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a gay man as well. So Mm -hmm. there was a lot of um, work that I had to do in and around myself and, and my life in order to come to that acceptance. Um, but I do think in observing, I'm very good at observing life and people <laughs> and situations and different facets of, uh, of the male experience. I do think there's this, um, this need to put up a front, this need to put up a barrier, this need to be seen and perceived a certain way. So I don't know if it's conditioned at birth. I don't know what there's a lot of sort of, um, back and talk about nature versus nurture, mm-hmm. but I do think it really rests on two factors. One is how was your environment in and around the time of your development, right? So that's a key area. And also to some degree, and I believe in something deeper, and even when I had cancer, I knew that my body was diseased, but my spirit wasn't diseased. Mm -hmm. My soul wasn't diseased. And so I do think to some degree, there's a level of spirit and soul that can't be fully understood with human comprehension that allows men or creates this boundary with men that that they can't feel into the feelings. Thank you for sharing that. I've been asking a lot of different men that I talk to, you know, just to kind of help enlighten us uh, women who don't really understand, but we want to be there to provide support and help them. So thank you so much. And with that, um, do you believe that unrealistic expectations are placed on men? 100%. I can even go back as far as elementary school and high school. 
I would see guys, no joke, chasing after women in every which way to find, to garner their attention. Like literally drop everything, not only monetary means, but literally drop everything to chase that. It's like they wanted validation for something outside of themselves. And I think to some degree, it's expected. Society expects that of men. Men have to, you know, back in the day, it was men have to pull out the chair. And I know those are genteel things. Those are nice things to do. I'm not saying people shouldn't do it. Pull, mm-hmm. you know, open the, you know, open the, uh, you know, car, you know, door and all that. That's great. But to some degree, I think it places men in a situation where you're giving them the power and then they expect to run with the power. They expect that that power to be the defining moment or defining def- that power is the definition of who they are and they don't come to understand and realize that it's a give and take situation. So it's a tough one, but I've seen it in many iterations in my life. Um, and I've seen it um, from very fa- from different facets as well. Wow, very interesting. I'm, I'm learning a lot. <laughs> and so Savio, why are emotions so difficult for men to process? I think to some degree, men live a lot in their physical body. Mm-hmm. They don't, it's all about performance. It's all about how they, you know, how others perceive, you know, their body or their structure or their presence in the world. Uh, and so to a large degree, I don't think men really cultivate the emotional, the psychological, the mental, you know, mental intellectual is different, but in terms of how that feeds and b- bounces off each other. And then to some degree, it's getting better now, but men don't seem to be very um, open or understanding when it comes to facets of spirit or facets of soul um, ex- expression. It's almost sometimes limiting uh, and defined in certain ways. Um, it's getting better, mm-hmm. but at least in my just living from a male's perspective as well and seeing that, I find that sometimes there's hindrances there. So really the key is to ask men, well, how do you really feel? Like if people weren't around you and I was around those 17 guys, it was like whole new world. I saw like people like being really, you know, like embracing and caressing and it wasn't anything sexual at all. These are like, you know, quote unquote, society's definition of a straight man. But it was like being that action being normalized, that action being just human. We're just human beings enjoying each other's company and enjoying each other's energy and just letting that be that and not defining it as one thing or the other. Thank you for sharing that. And so you mentioned, Savio, that you are Asian Indian. Do you feel like that has played a part in your your upbringing and all these different things? Every culture has their, their certain ways of doing things and beliefs, really. Did that, do you believe that played a big part? 100%. So um, I grew up Asian Indian. My parents are from India. Um, the, the region of India they're from is called Goa. It was ruled by the Portuguese for about 400 years. So there's a lot of European Portuguese influence as well. I was raised Catholic. So that's another layer on top of that uh, as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I remember even as a young child, them talking about, you know, getting married and, and like, what are they talking about? Like, to me, it was just so foreign. I came to this country when I was three years old. So I'm pretty much American. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think in terms of like how things were done in their, their own life and how ancestry and all those other factors played uh, and also um, just customs and, and, you know, you know, mores and, and all those um, cultural things, um, those identities, 
definitely played a role, but also really the fact that I grew up in a household where I grew up with two older sisters, my mom as well, my dad. So I didn't really, I grew up with a lot of feminine energy. Um, and so my mom was like the boss. I mean, she really was, <laughs> uh, you know, my dad would like provide, but she really kind of like set things straight. Um, so I think the Asian aspect of, um, you know, like me being the youngest, the only male, they revere males as well, put a lot of pressure um, on me or making me feel like I had to be quote unquote perfect yeah. um, or had to make sure that I um, do the right thing. And I, let's just say I stretched my parents to the max. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Savio, why is toughness a fallacy? Oh, because, you know, honestly, if you really, it's so interesting, this question, because I do think to some degree, people assume that toughness is something that uh, something that you should like revere. It's a great asset and trait to have, obviously, in situations like what you and I went through with cancer, definitely plays its, its most important part. But to a large degree, it's not sustainable. To a large degree, toughness will not get you that far. It'll only get you to some level of acceptance, some level of, um, uh, you know, sensation, but it won't get you to the finish line because toughness to some degree, is not something that you need. It's something that you kind of want. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. And that's something that I had to learn because of the environment I was raised in. And a lot of the people that I was raised around, like they were very slick, you know, they, they always had this mean rebuttal and it was like you know you have to you have to be this way and it's like I grew into knowing that there was a time and place for everything and I didn't want people to so-called respect me because they thought I was tough or mean I wanted people to respect me for me and I wanted to be able to be my true self and be the kind person that I am not to say that being tough is exactly mean but so I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And it also makes me think about sort of this aspect where people often bleed and I did it as well. So I'm not blaming, but people look at family and they don't realize they're people as well. So mm -hmm. if you grew up in that kind of environment with those tough people, you don't have to just be with only those tough people. Yes. You can find your tribe. You can find the right energetic type of people that you want to spend time with, you know, enjoy time with, cultivate time with. Um, and I think that's really the key. So you know, it, it took me a while to understand that and, and to learn that and to actually incorporate that. But now I now I understand the full truth of that. Wonderful. I love that. And Savio, why is it important for men to upgrade in the light of the Me Too movement? Oh, my gosh, it's so important for someone who grew up with two sisters. But beyond that, I was always a very feeling child um, and sensitive to a large degree as well. Um, I think men just really need to wake up. Men just really need to just, you know, my friend a long time ago, I'm not in contact with her anymore. You should always say you need to polish the facets of your character. Think of it as like a crystal. Think of it as like a, a piece of, um, you know, you know, something in your showcase. You need to constantly polish that. Otherwise it gets dull and dark and dank. And so I think men really need to understand what's going on, really need to be respectful of boundaries, really need to um, listen really need to um, uh, feel into a situation and not always exert that power because power is a two-way street. Power only gets you, like toughness gets you so far. Power used in, in the right way will allow you to be more full expressive, 
will allow you to, to um, you know, create more of an authentic relationship and will also bring you happiness. And I know that's something that people, you know, think of as fleeting, but I do believe happiness is not to chase. Happiness is really a way to kind of find answers. Beautifully said. I could not agree more. And Savio, you have a book coming out soon. So please tell us about your your beautiful book that's coming out. I want people to know um, when they can expect it and where they can find it. Okay, great, Talia. So I want to thank you because you are one of the individuals. So my book is called I Survived Cancer and here is how I did it. Uh, so I have an interview series with Authority Magazine and Thrive Global, and I interviewed nearly 175 cancer survivors. Uh, and the book details not only 35 of those cancer survivor stories, but my own. Uh, it will launch officially on February 22nd, 2022. So I know it's 2-2-2-2. Two, 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 two. <laughs> Um, I chose that purposely, um, and it will be available on Amazon, and then it will be available in some other um, outlets, um, maybe like a month later. Um, it will also be available on my website, isurvivecancer.co, and you could always follow me also on Instagram, uh, the Human Resolve, the Human Resolve, um, and um, yeah, and um, you know my website's also called thehumanresolve.com. Wonderful. I am looking forward to uh, checking that out. And I'm so grateful, Savio, for you including me in your book as well. So what an honor. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I, it tells the story of individuals and what they learn spiritually, emotionally, physically, and mentally from the experience. And I often, and I said it in the book, that even though something horrible has happened to us, we shouldn't live by its shackles. It's something that happened. And it's something that we can overcome. Absolutely. I agree with that for sure. Savio, I like to ask my two guests, my guests, my guests, these same two questions, excuse me. The first one is, what is something that you learned in life that you would like to share with the audience? I think one of the things I learned in life is this idea of vulnerability. It wasn't until I had cancer that I learned you can ask people for things. You don't have to pay people to do stuff for you, you can ask them and you could be okay with whatever answer they give you. I was so caught up in them saying no, that I wouldn't ask. I was so caught up in disappointing myself or, or having that negative reaction. But I think the key is to ask. And that's what cancer taught me is to be vulnerable enough to ask because after a five hour, and you probably know this chemo session, you cannot drive or you're told not to drive. And so my dad volunteered and I, I, I said, that's fine. That's, that's fine. My mom would cook me dinner because I lost, after I got out of the hospital for two weeks, I lost 18 pounds. Wow. And she's like, oh no, I'm getting you back to your weight level. <laughs> she's like, you're, you're going back there. I'm like, okay. So that's wow. definitely something I learned. Wonderful. Such great advice. And um, I know it's a process for a lot of people. Um, it was tough for me to, you know, to ask for help um, as well. But it's a beautiful thing when you can just open up and just say, hey, I'm here to receive however you can help me. And I'm grateful for that. So it, it, it'll, it will change your life, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's also something in the power, especially that I included 35 years cancer stories. I reread it, reread it, reread it. Like, I know everything about your guys' lives with cancer. Um, is the key here is the fact that you can't do this process alone. It's not going to work. Mm -mm. You need help. And sometimes people helping you or, or allowing people to help you 
is a way that they help themselves. Yes, absolutely. Could not agree more. And Savio, finally, what is next for you? So I'm going on promoting this book. There's a couple of opportunities for, for it to appear or for me to talk about it on some television networks, both internationally and here domestically. Um, also in, in plans of covering um, two events. One of them is going to be South by Southwest uh, next month. Uh, and then I might be going to Dublin um, for a wellness um, conference. So I cover a lot because I'm a syndicated columnist. Uh, and then um, I had been, um, a couple of people have reached out. I don't know if it's the universe doing it, but uh, <laughs> to maybe create a course. Um, it's always something that's been in the back of my mind, but I'm also someone who also believes that you have to kind of walk before you can run but sometimes you have to run to catch the plane. <laughs> so I think I need to meet the opportunity when it comes, but those are, those are on the horizon for sure. Wonderful. And I know they will all be a huge success. So I wish you well in those areas. Savio, before we end today, is there anything else that you'd like to share? I think the only thing I would probably like for people to have a takeaway with this conversation is no matter who you know, or, or if cancer has touched your life in some fashion or some way, you really just reach out. Even though it, there might not be responsive to the reach out, we as cancer patients, or we as, we as individuals who have gone through the struggle know that that means a lot because the healing process doesn't take place always in the hospital or the chemo bed. It takes place at home. It takes place when you're silent, it takes place in your dreams. It takes place when it seems hopeless. Yeah, so true. And Savio, you have mentioned different um, websites and things like that where people can find you. Are, are there any other places that you'd like to mention? You know, my website, uh, so my background is IT, so I'm, I'm pretty good <laughs> at making sure I package all that into one. But yeah, the, really the two websites are isurvivedcancer.co, which will launch on the 22nd of February, 2022. And then uh, I always have my own website, which is thehumanresolve.com. You'll find everything, my articles, you'll find my podcast. I'm a podcaster. I'm doing video podcasts as well. So I'm stretching myself as well. <laughs> um, and you'll find my, my uh, coaching, um, um, my accelerated coaching program as well. Wonderful. And congratulations on moving on up to video. I'm, I'm behind you. I'm, I'm working my way up there. So <laughs> thank yep. you for being a great example, Savio. Sure. Thank you so much, Talia. I really appreciate this. Absolutely. Thank you, Savio, so much for your time. And before we end today, I'd like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you appreciate the show, drop a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For notes from the show, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. After you check out the show notes, head over to my gift shop and show yourself or someone special in your life some love with gifts of encouragement, hope, and positive affirmations. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon. Bye.